shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah continues in chapter 9 and starting with verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And finally a reading from the prophet Micah. He says in chapter 5 and verse 2, But you Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose comings forth is from of old from ancient days. And Father, we come before you tonight and we are thankful that we have the ability to gather. We can celebrate the birth of your son, our King Jesus. I pray as we look at your word for these few moments that we are together in song and in your word that you would just stir our hearts, Lord, to understand this simple manger scene, but how profoundly it has impacted not just this world, but the entire universe. And as we prepare our hearts for this offering this evening, Lord, I pray that you would just stir us as we come to the end of the year and touch our hearts, Lord, on what it is you would have us to do as members of this congregation within this community. Use these monies in the way in which you desire, Lord, to reach people with the gospel of Christ, to maintain the facilities that you have given us, but most importantly, Lord, that this world may know as we spiral out of control into chaos, help us be agents of light in a dark place. May we be the voice of Jesus in a, in, in a situation that needs peace, that needs love, and that needs hope. We give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Melissa is going to be singing for us one last song. Christ. 
you all this evening. Oh, hi, Rena. <laughs> Keep me on my toes. 
I would like to welcome you all this evening. I'm Michael Oldham. I'm the senior pastor here at AGCC. I'd like to welcome all of you who are guests of ours tonight. I appreciate you coming. Title the message this evening as we gather this Christmas Eve 2016, very simply, Heaven and Earth Collide. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14 is where the primary focus is going to be for us because what I want us to understand is that in this sleepy little town, just south of a place called Jerusalem, on a very cold night, all of God's promises that have been given to his people and to all of humankind were suddenly fulfilled by the birth of a little child. So I want to welcome you all here this Christmas evening for taking time out of your schedules to come and just gather together in church so that we can hear what it is the Lord has to say. Our text for the evening, as I said, it was read by Zach, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. And the story which we've been looking at piece by piece throughout this Advent season, for those of you who have attended since Advent started the last weekend of November, for those of you who regularly attend here, we've spent the past five weeks looking at different songs and hymns and what it is they mean and which express the different elements of the birth story of Jesus. While You Were Sleeping was one of the very first ones we looked at, a casting crown song. Angels We Have Heard on High, Lo How Arose. And then last week, Once in Royal David City, two of my favorites that I never even heard of before this year, but fell in love with. All pointing us to this little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie, the hymn says. Above the deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. A place were it not for the writings of prophets named Isaiah and Micah, which I read this evening to us, the place would have likely been lost to the passage of time because nothing real significant ever happened there. Yet even farther back than the time of King David and the prophecies of Isaiah and Micah, we discover in the story of Ruth that God's plan will be brought about by ordinary people living life in the most ordinary and simplest of ways, seemingly in absolute obscurity in this little town in the hill country just south of Jerusalem. And we often have these moments ourselves as we toil about day to day, wondering if we're having any impact on our culture and our society. But we also need to understand that the Bible itself is in a concoction of mystical ideas all thrown together in writings that were mashed together and made up out of someone's head so that somebody could tell a good story in the years down the road. We've learned here in the congregation in these past weeks that these were real people that we're talking about, dealing with real issues, living in real time, being obedient to the call of God in their lives to do whatever it was he asked of them which brought about this Bethlehem moment that we're learning about tonight in this little city of David. Paradigm moments, I call them. Paradigm moments. This young girl, Mary, let's start with her, whom we read about most often at this time of the year and tend not to focus too much on her the rest of the time, had a paradigm moment when the angel visited her in her hometown. He tells her that she's going to have a child, a bizarre thing to say to somebody who has never been with a man before. So that means it's going to happen in one of the most unusual of ways. Will you risk your reputation is being asked of this young girl. Will you risk your reputation? Will you risk being ostracized by family and by friends? Will you risk spending your life as an outcast where people will always question what really happened? Will you give me your life? Paradigm moment for Mary. When she said yes to what the angel had told her, everything began to fall into place, but in one of the most bizarre ways. You see, because Joseph, that poor carpenter husband of hers, who would come home after a hard day's work that evening to sit down at the table and have himself a bite to eat, gets the craziest story ever told to a man. His character and his trust in God is seen 
in how it is he responds to what it is Mary tells him. Now, Matthew takes the time to tell us exactly how it was Joseph responded. And Joseph wasn't all that sure about this story that was being told to him around the dinner table. And most of us men sitting here tonight, if we are honest with ourselves, if our wives or our girlfriends came up with a story like this over a steak dinner, we would have a hard time buying it ourselves. We get very comfortable with reading it. And we think, huh, okay, everything worked out well. But that's not how it happened. You see, the question is, as we look at this Christmas story is how we would have responded in a moment such as this. How would we react in a paradigm moment like this? Joseph, if I can imagine for a moment, if you would all just join me, would have pushed his plate aside at dinner and he probably would have gotten a little sick to his stomach and a little bit agitated. I know I would have. Trying to figure out exactly what it was his wife just told him. After all, as I said, these are real people we read about in the Bible having real things happen to them in real history. Matthew, a tax collector and a follower of Jesus, and Luke, a doctor and a historian, write about these actual events that happened to these folks. Matthew was an actual eyewitness and an apostle in the ministry of Jesus with his life here on earth. Luke, well, he talked to the people who are actually eyewitnesses. And I suspect he probably spent some time talking to Mary, in fact, and he probably even spent some time talking to Matthew. Otherwise, he wouldn't really have the details that he had. He records for Theophilus in his letter that he investigated these things. He searched them out. And we find in Matthew's telling that Joseph goes to bed and he sleeps on this incredible thing that his wife tells him. Only he doesn't really sleep. He gets paid a visit just like Mary got paid. It's the angel again. Joseph, he says to him, don't worry about what Mary's told you here at the dinner table tonight. It's not a big deal. It's all true. It's all true. The baby she is carrying is, in fact, God's son. You will name him. And you will step into the story that I have for you. Joseph, knowing the scriptures there where he's laying on the bed and hearing the angel, begins to put two and two together. And he remembers Isaiah's writings. That prophet some 700 years before, how he told the people of Israel that a child will be born and that a son will be given in one of the readings that we had this evening. And that the virgin would conceive. And he starts putting these things together. The paradigm moment for the people of Israel is happening through two very young people in a village just north of the capital city of Jerusalem, unbeknownst to the rest of the world. The hymn continues, yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. How's that going to happen? We know the end of the story, but they didn't. We read, or we read and we learn this Advent season as well, that God uses whom he wishes in order to bring his story forward, in order for his promises to be fulfilled. Herod and Caesar themselves, kings in this world, we learned, would obey the prophecy of God, even though they thought they were in charge of their lives and they were running the show. Even when they thought they had it all under control, they were being used of God to move an entire empire, issuing a decree, the one that Luke tells us about, and he takes care to identify exactly which decree it is and which census it is, moves an entire corner of the Roman Empire. Now why? All in order to get Mary and Joseph from a town far up north to where Micah the prophet said they were supposed to be. The moment when Joseph packs up all of their belongings, what little it is they have, puts it on the back of the donkey and then lifts up his pregnant wife onto that donkey and they begin their journey south some 90 miles to Bethlehem. 
Each of these moments lead to another moment in the sovereign plan of God. Each one of them because two human beings decided to be obedient. You see, these lives of these people were their own. They weren't being forced to do anything. Knowingly or not, God's sovereign hand and his providential plan was being lived out by this young lady Mary and by this young man Joseph and by Herod the Great and by Caesar Augustus. Heaven and earth were about to collide in a moment in time. Thousands of years of promises and 400 years of deafening silence are about to converge and break into our world. Rippling across time and space, the event that happened some 2,000 years ago still carries unbelievable weight in the absolute truth and salvation for all of humanity right to this very moment here, this Christmas Eve 2016 in the little community of Regens. See, this simple story, or at least it seems that way when we read this story in Scripture because we're so very comfortable with it, is the moment that changed all of history. Lost in sin and lost in despair, a people wait for the promise of their king that had been given to them thousands of years before. They're waiting for the Messiah who would come and would deliver them. Their oppression and their exile would finally be over and they would take their rightful place once again in the world in which they lived. They wouldn't be oppressed by another people. But you see, when heaven and earth collided on that night, there was so much more that God was doing. There was so much more that was going on. Governments, the powers that be, and the human heart itself would be challenged this night by this simple birth. We read that in Isaiah 9. The hymn continues, For Christ is born of Mary, it goes, and gathered all above, while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. O little town of Bethlehem is not just a nice sweet hymn or song that we sing here on Christmas Eve or during the Christmas holiday. It is the very proclamation that heaven has broken in upon earth at a moment in time. The freedom that was promised to humanity is now a reality and the King is here and the choice is ours. It belongs to us. You see, this is the moment the world had been waiting for. Micah and Isaiah had foretold it. Luke and Matthew confirm it in the Gospels. And we, as human beings, must choose it. We have the opportunity to choose. The greatest story ever told didn't come to palaces and places of power. No, it came in a barn. It didn't come to people of influence. It didn't come to people of position. It came to lowly shepherds laying out in a field, the last, the least, and the lost of the culture was whom God chose to proclaim. Why? Because this is the pattern of the God of the universe. He doesn't do things the way we do things. We've been learning here at AGCC as well in Advent over these past weeks that the God of the Bible does things in the exact opposite manner in which the world does things. And he is consistent in that pattern of how he does things. He never seeks out those in positions of power. Power is found in weakness when we look at the gospel of Jesus. Power is found in weakness It's a disarming power, in fact, if we read this story for all that it's worth. You see, because Caesar would move his empire thinking he was counting his people in order to feed his ego and build his coffers with money. And he was, in a sense. And yet God was using that census to bring forth his plan. 
Herod was, would believe just enough of the prophecies, just enough of the prophecies to find that in the writings of Micah and learn that where this king was to be born, thinking that he somehow as king in Israel could control the events that were happening in his life. How wrong he was and what a lesson it is for us as human beings to take that we are not masters of our own destiny. If the Christmas story tells us anything, it tells us that. We are not masters of our own destiny. You see, both men were completely disarmed by a little baby in a manger. That's the bizarreness of this story. Both of these men who ruled were completely disarmed by a little baby wearing a diaper in a manger. They were born to a couple of social outcasts of the lower class from a region where nothing ever good really comes from. It's how God works. It's how he's always worked. You see, yet the angels proclaim this paradigm moment in history. They proclaim it. Heaven and earth collide at that moment in time. And Luke himself records for us the eyewitness account. He had to have spoken to somebody who was there, probably a shepherd, because the angels said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What a picture. No royal birth, no gold, no silver, no trumpets, no anything. But heaven itself shows up and sings the chorus. Heaven itself blows the trumpet. You see, Tim Keller again in his book, Hidden Christmas, writes this. The Christian life begins not with high deeds and achievements, but with the most simple and ordinary act of humbling, humble asking. Then the life and joy grow in us over the years in commonplace, almost boring practices. Daily obedience, reading and prayer, worship attendance, serving our brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as our neighbors, depending on Jesus during times of suffering. That's a powerful one for some of us here this evening. Depending upon Jesus during times of suffering. And bit by bit, our faith will grow. Don't be put off by the ordinariness of the means of joy. For in that ordinariness is hidden the extraordinary riches of the gospel. Don't make the mistake that the world has already made. End quote. Instead, remember this, the hymn says. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. That's the promise of God. And this Christmas, I offer to you that gift, born this day in the city of David, Christ the Lord. The babe in the manger is king and Lord. That's not a question. The question that we have to ask ourselves, is he my Lord? Because he is already king and Lord. He was born for you, he was born for me, and he was born for this entire world. If you haven't, the question tonight I have for you this Christmas is, will you receive him? What greater gift can you get this Christmas than this Jesus in a manger? What greater gift can we give anybody than to encounter this Jesus in a manger? This paradigm moment in history is proven by the defining moment in the entire universe, and that's the cross. See, Jesus didn't stay in a manger. This little baby that we know, so innocent and so meek and so mild, grew up to be the man the world would see hanging on a tree just outside of the city of Jerusalem. The only crown he would ever wear is a crown of thorns. 
couldn't get there, however, without first starting in obscurity and simplicity. He could never get to the cross without starting in the quiet barn in the little town of Bethlehem, in the city of David, where heaven and earth collided and heaven broke into our time and our space in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Son of the living God. A defining moment in all of history. I could have the worship team come up. I want to challenge you this evening as we prepare to close in one last song to not get so used to this Christmas story that we forget that real human beings live this. That Mary and Joseph were two young teenagers. That they were in fear. They were in doubt. And that's something that should give us encouragement tonight. I want to challenge you wherever this message finds you. The hope of the manger should be where you look. Will you meet him there? Because I promise you, your life will never be the same. You will never regret one moment having received this Christ. Not once will you turn back and go, you know, that wasn't worth my time. For he promises to come to anyone who will ask, no matter what you have done, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you are dealing with. The question that I leave you with as we close with Silent Night and we're going to begin to light our candles As you sing this hymn, ask yourself, will I come to the manger? Will I have that paradigm moment in my life where I finally say to this Jesus, okay, Lord, not my life, but yours. Not my will, but yours. You have shown yourself to be who you say you really are, king of the universe. We could all please stand.
front of you. Some of you still have it lit. The Bible tells us that into darkness light came. We could shut every light off in this place. And if we have one candle lit, darkness is lost. I leave you with that thought. King of the universe decided the way in which to save humanity was to become human being. The way in which to fix what we broke was to become like us. And John says that he is the light. And if he is in us, that means that we are the light of the world. We are God's people for God's world. If you know Christ in your heart, be that candle. Be that light in a dark place. Tell people about the manger scene, that paradigm moment. Father, I'm thankful. This Christmas, as we all go home and we gather around table and we gather in the living room and we celebrate with family and friends, I pray that you would encourage us all to just take a deep breath for a minute, myself included. Think on those things that are important. Think on those things that matter. Stir our hearts, Lord, to just have that moment again of innocence where we look upon the baby Jesus, whom we know will grow up to be the King of kings and Lord of lords because that's what he is. Remind us this Christmas, Lord, that you have come to not just redeem us but to redeem your good world and that you have made us your people for this world. Until the day you come again, help us to be active. Help us to be agents. Help us to be a light in a dark place. Help us to share the gospel of your son Jesus in everything that we do. Father, I give you thanks for everybody here tonight and I pray your blessings upon them and upon their meals and upon Christmas and the rest of this evening. Lord, as we leave here, give us safe travel as we head home. And I ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for coming. A very Merry Christmas to you. And you are dismissed. You can chit-chat and talk for a little bit if you'd like.